You're listening to Criterion Channel Surfing, a podcast dedicated to the films of the Criterion Collection streaming video service, the Criterion Channel. I'm your host, Josh Hornbeck. Becky DeAnna, frequent guest on Criterion Now, Film Baby Film, Flixwise, and Wrong Reel, joins me today to discuss February's new releases and expiring titles, and Michael Hutchins stops by to talk about the different genres represented on the Criterion Channel. Stay with us as we start surfing the Criterion Channel. If you enjoy Criterion Channel Surfing, check out The Complete Podcast, hosted by Matthew Gasteyer and Travis Trudell, covering the filmographies of the world's most renowned directors one season at a time. The Complete is dedicated to taking chronological journeys through the most rewarding filmographies in cinema. Each season covers one director, with each episode focusing on one feature film from their catalog. The first season was dedicated to Stanley Kubrick, the second season covered Elaine May, and the third season was focused on Krzysztof Kieślowski. The current fourth season is dedicated to the films of Satoshi Kon, the director of such notable Japanese animated films as Perfect Blue, Millennium Actress, and Paprika. Find The Complete Podcast at thecompletepod.blueberry.net. Criterion Cast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at criteriancast.com. My guest today is Becky DeAnna, frequent guest on Criterion Now, Film Baby Film, Flixwise, and Wrong Reel. Becky, thank you so much for coming on and being a part of the main episode of the show. Oh my gosh, thanks for inviting me. This is exciting. Thanks for inviting me back. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, really excited to have you on. Listeners, you may remember Becky from her appearances doing entry points into both Ingmar Bergman and into the discussion on the films of Albert Brooks. And I know I am really excited to have Becky on to really just talk about the channel. And over the course of the next three episodes, we're going to be talking also about love stories on the Criterion channel. So uh, this is going to be a really fun series of conversations. Yeah, and I love love stories. I think there's going to be some really fun, fun places to talk. I'm especially excited to seeing the films that you've chosen to talk about. I think those are going to be great. Great. So Becky, I just would love to check in and and hear how things are going with you and what's going on with you in podcasting, in life, in the the world today. Well, I think March 13th, I think is will be a year that I've worked been working from home, which I think is the wow. uh, same yeah. probably I share that anniversary with a lot of people, especially in the states. Mm-hmm where that was the day that we were told to start working from home and we thought it was going to be for two weeks and it ended up being a lot longer. So that's weird and never thought that I'd be able to do that. And I desperately want to go back to the office. I work at Sony Pictures and I really like being on the lot and just seeing people and having conversations and meetings in person. And it's just way more creative in person. And then also just looking forward to having we believe that the movie business will be back and raring to go in the summer. So we have some big summer movies planned and some other films in the fall. So hoping those 
everything stays progressing the way it is and that sticks and we can celebrate actually opening movies because we have so many movies backlogged now that we haven't been able to mm. release. But personally, I just did my UK podcasting debut with Film 89. I was invited to come on in January. It was exciting to do this one and they, they came to me for two love films as well. It was Lost in Translation and Her. That podcast sort of exploded in popularity. I I was excited to be on it and it was a really wonderful conversation, but I think it really had connected to people right now because of the pandemic, because it's a film about loneliness and isolation. And these films are really wonderful. And it was a nice pair of those two films. So it was one of those where I didn't expect to get the response that I got because sometimes I'll do podcast and you know I'll get some people that are excited but this was one that really hit a chord and we got a lot mm. of uh, positive responses and then really I heard from people I hadn't heard from a long time and got some new Twitter followers and I think it just like exploded on the UK podcast charts which was exciting so I'm really proud of that episode too and I'm really happy that I said yes because I wasn't given very much notice and I just took a chance and said sure I love these films let's talk about them and it ended up being really illuminating conversation so that was a real bright spot this year for me so far and I think that's really I mean that's it I I'm I'm planning on podcasting more this year than I did last year and I've definitely oh another big thing is I'm my top 10 list, which comes out New Year's Eve, got delayed this year because there was a bunch of key films that didn't come out until February that I just didn't feel like I could do a list without seeing them. So the last film I'm, I need to see, I'm going to get an opportunity to see on Monday. So I plan on putting out the top 10 list the next week or two, which is exciting. Even though it's even though it's a few months late, I, I hope people still, I think it's worth the wait. I hope people think so too. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I think, you know, everybody's, top 10 lists are a little off. I recorded with John Lobinger and DJ Moore. We do our annual top 10. Oh, I love podcast. those episodes. Yeah. And you know, even though film baby film is on hiatus, we moved it over to my cinema cocktail podcast and I'm uh, deep in the middle of editing that right now when I have time and you know, life has uh, delayed my editing, but I've been editing that uh, over the last couple of nights and it's been fun to to listen to that conversation a little bit more. And we recorded that at the end of January. And, you know, this is a weird year. And I think you're right. Many of us just did not get a chance to to watch a lot of films until much later. Yeah, and, and really not through no fault of our own. The, the, yeah. That's the thing is that some of these films, they just, it's not because we didn't have the time or didn't, you know, take the time. It's just that they just weren't available. They didn't release them until January or February. And some of these films I had to wait till the end of February to see. Uh, which was a bummer. But again, I, I, it's possible I'll watch these films and not think they're good enough to put on my list. But I also mm -hmm. just didn't really want to put out a list of where someone said, well, what about this movie? Did you see this movie? And unless I went to a film festival, I didn't. So I wanted to be able to say, yeah, I did. And I didn't love it as much as you did. Or I did. And that's why it's <laughs> on the list. So I just want to have a be a completionist and, and see everything that I felt like was being talked about. So at, at least I can, if somebody asked me, I can say, I had seen it. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm very excited to get to see that and we'll make sure to uh, have links to that or at least promote that if uh, this episode comes out before that list is is out there. So yeah, that's great. Awesome.
So Becky, you're a subscriber of the channel. I know you've had the channel for a long time. I'm curious to know, what are some of the things that you really enjoy about having access to the Criterion channel? Wow, I think the thing that I love the most is the how they curate films and into themes each month and and then also just bring in people to do different filmmakers. It's interesting, like with Albert Brooks, he was only on there for a few, I think a few months, but it's nice that they were able to curate all like six of his films and, and promote it and get people to watch them. But also yeah. I think because of the fact that they have films that expire, it kind of gives more urgency to watch some of these films where you're like, oh, I've, you know, I, I do, I've always wanted to see the film, but it's much easier because now I've had a subscription so I could just, I don't have to rent it now. So that's, that's, a, that's motivation too with it. But I think the curation part of it is the most exciting part. And then also the fact that they just have so many films films in one place mm. like, because you know I'm a massive Igmar Bergman fanatic and when I discovered him when I was like 25 which was a long time ago so over 20 years ago and I just didn't have access to see all these I, if, if you know 20 years ago if I had a channel where I could just watch all of his movies it would be amazing but I, I had to hunt them down I had to go to the video store and they had like there was a video store on La Brea that had all the Bergman films that existed but they were like mostly on VHS and so I like rent it to every other weekend to like catch up on all those films in a year but it, it was always like hunting down what films were available and trying to watch them chronologically but I just think it's it's so people are so lucky now that they could just turn on the Criterion channel and watch all these films from Fellini and and Bergman and Eric Romer and it's it's really just a wealth of films at your fingertips and you don't have to hunt them down and drive all over the city to get access to them. Yeah. I mean it's pretty just monumental, you know, when, when we get to our our section talking about the the theme, you know, I chose a film from Kisuke Kanoshida and you know, the f channel has I think 30, 40, 50 films from him on there and if you ever wanted to do a deep dive into Kenosha's work you can sit there and go through almost all of his filmography uh, you can go through almost all of Bergman's filmography almost all of Fellini's filmography there's just this this incredible wealth of work by these incredible filmmakers uh, just sitting there at our fingertips and it's not th that's not even the films that they highlight every month and I just I think that is pretty incredible Mm -hmm. Is there anything when you're kind of looking at the channel that you wish they had more of, you wish was easier to use, anything that is kind of on your wish list for a, a revamped or a, a new version of the app down the line? Yeah, and I might just, it might just be that I am not great at navigating the app, but sometimes I wish that it was, it would come up easier, like when you get on the app and it, it I wish it would say, do you want to continue to watch this or something like that? Because I think oftentimes for some reason I'll watch something and I'll watch it too late. So I'll have to finish it the next day. Or, you know, I used to watch a lot of movies on my lunch break in the past and it's annoying when you, and, and again, this could be because I'm just not know what I'm doing, but I get on and I'm like, oh, I have to search for the movie again. And then I have to mm. find it. And it's, it would be great if I just opened it up and it said, oh, continue watching section or even suggest films that based on stuff I've seen that they thought that I'd like to see. I think that would be cool. Kind of that, maybe more of the, the algorithmic, in, intentional algorithm that, that uh, suggests things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know that 
that depending on the device you're using, there are these kind of little lanes that will show you, that will allow you to continue watching where you left off. Mm -hmm. But this actually just came up yesterday in the Facebook group for the Criterion Channel Club. And certain devices, though, it's harder to find that continue watching lane. And I think that is one of the chan- the one of the problems yeah. with the different versions of the the app skin that they're using and that is a that is a challenge sometimes (laughs) to find that yeah it's extra time to be like oh i gotta search for this again and sometimes i think it remembers where you are but i think there's sometimes where it's like oh god i have to restart this and remember where i was but it's not i mean it's not like in, you know, insanely annoying or anything, but it it, it would be a lot nicer just to go on and, and yeah. start off where you want, were. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that I always try to remember whenever I have a little, whenever I get a little bit of frustration, and then I actually don't have a whole lot of frustrations. I use the Apple TV app and it works pretty seamlessly for me, but I do, rem- I do remind myself that you know, Criterion is a pretty small company and they're using somebody else's app to build this. And I'm just really happy that we have all the content on there yeah. that we thought for a while was going to be gone I know. Uh, forever. I'm so happy it got picked up again. I was so sad yeah. about that too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Becky and I will be right back to talk about the Criterion Channel's new and expiring titles for the month of February. But first, I'm going to check in with Michael Hutchins for a conversation about the different genres we can find on the Criterion Channel. Stay with us. If you enjoy Criterion Channel surfing, make sure to check out the Magic Lantern podcast, hosted by Erica Long and Cole Rulane, exploring the films we love and the things we love about them. The Magic Lantern is a film podcast hosted by Eric Long and Cole Rulane devoted to sharing their enduring cinematic memories. Join them for an ongoing, informal discussion of the classic and contemporary films they love and the things they love about them. If you've been looking for a podcast to explore old and new favorites with fellow film lovers, you've come to the right place. New episodes every other Monday. Find out more at magiclanternpodcast.com. I'm here with Michael Hutchins, one of our regular contributors to Criterion Channel Surfing, as well as a frequent contributor to most of the Facebook groups dedicated to the Criterion Collection. He's joining me today to talk about the different genres that can be found on the Criterion Channel. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. Hello, Josh. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's always great to talk to you. And same here. Yeah. Well, you know, we've talked about filmmakers, we've talked about countries, we've talked about all of the different ways that, well, so many of the different ways that we can categorize films that we find on the channel. You know, we've never really looked, though, at genres before. And, you know, when I first broached the subject to you, you mentioned you'd kind of start doing some research. And as we were prepping this, you told me that you don't really like to break things down by genre. And I'm curious to know what are some of the reservations that you have at breaking things down by genre? Well, I can see there is a purpose for genre. I come from a background in literature and, and reading, mm. and especially what I learned as growing up was that genre was used by publishers really to, to ghettoize certain works and certain authors. And so that's always been my dislike of the use of genre as a marketing tool. Now, as a conversational tool, whenever 
you know, individuals sit down and say, well, I just saw this Western, I just, or I just saw this, you know, horror film, that's fine, because it gives you a starting point. But as far as marking a film and categorizing, for instance, you'll find that on the Criterion Channel, you won't see those categories on their main screen. Unlike mm-hmm. almost every streaming service out there, you will find a category that says comedy. One will say romance. One will say westerns. You know, if you look at yep. the front page of Netflix, it's there. They know that their viewers are looking for certain types of films. And I think in this in this regard, Criterion has the same feelings as I would about mm. categorizing films based on certain criteria that one person would consider to be a one way and another individual would be considered something else. I think I've, I've gotten to discussion many times about the horror genre yeah. and uh, you know, coming from literature, I, I have this pretty set definition of what horror is. Films where individuals go around killing each other is not a horror film. It's horrific. Yes. It's terrifying. Yes. Texas Chainsaw is a horrifying film. But I cannot consider it to be horror in the sense that, you know, and this is from going back to to literature, it has to hit on certain tropes, which are either from a supernatural standpoint, but anything that can happen in the natural world would not be considered horror. Mm. Now, back in the 90s or so, this started getting blended with other types of literature. And I think one of the biggest ones to come out was something like Thomas Harris's novel, Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. Which you know people you know people categorized it as horror. Of course, I'm not sure how it was marketed back then. It was probably marketed just as a mainstream novel. And then now people would talk of uh, Silence of the Lambs as a horror film, and like the first horror film to win the Oscar for Best Film of the Year. Again, you know that's it. Just depends on on how a certain group of people look at certain you know tropes of the film. And I just don't do that. And so that's that's why whenever you approach me about discussing genre on in film i was a little hesitant but then i you know again i can see the i can see the point and i can see why certain streaming services will emphasize that and i'm also glad that criterion doesn't now you're you're in a group with me on facebook called the criterion channel club and there have been many discussions about certain persons in the club will be searching for say say they're in a mood for romance and not able to find it readily but, you know, over the last few days after we talked about doing this discussion, I have found that, you know, it, even if you don't go to the website where there is a list of all the films, there is a way you can find certain genres by just searching on your apps. I mm. only have the Roku app and I have the iPhone app as well as the laptop. I watch it on, on Google, Google Chrome. And I find that if you search, you can search for, if you put in the words horror, you will get a return of horror films, you know. Mm. If, you, if, if you just, if you search for, excuse me, I'm, I'm going to do a live search right now. I'm pulling up my iPhone, and I'm going to search for the word Western. Okay, here we go. I'm, I'm searching Western, and the first thing that comes up is the movie Western. You know, the yeah. film by the Ross Brothers, which makes sense, you know. Mm-hmm. You figure the, the title's going to come first. And then next you have an Eastern Westerner, which is the comedy with Harold Lloyd, and it has Western in the title. And then the next the next ones are Stagecoach, The Big mm. Sky, The Bronx, The Bronze Buckaroo, Bucking Broadway, Cat Baloo, John Ford Interview, Stagecoach, and then Riding the Whirlwind, My Little Chickadee, and then Suburbia for some reason. But then I think now that I think about it, 
Suburbia was directed by Penelope Spheris, who directed a series of films called The Decline of Western Civilization. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what we're seeing here is that films are tagged certain ways, tagged either through description, they're tagged through either title, of course, or by director. So let's say you want, you're looking for a John Ford film. You can put in John Ford and it will come up, you know. So yeah. that, that's, that's I'm not trying to rebuke anyone who's saying that you can't find certain things on the channel. But if you're looking for genre, put it in, try it. There's nothing preventing you from doing that. Of course, as we discussed it, we decided that we would use the list, the all films list that's on the website, mm-hmm. on the website interface of their service. And they do have a filter in which you can filter by genres. And there's 19 of them. You know, and, and some of these, what they consider genres, I do not. For instance, mm. shorts. You know, <laughs> the length of a film should not be considered a genre, of course. You know, <laughs> but, but if you look at IMDb, they consider a short to be a genre as well. Yeah. You know, I'm not out to dispute what anybody calls certain, what they would consider a genre. Unless this whole conversation is going to be about my disputing what other people think about genre. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But it's easy. Let's say if you want, you just want to watch a short film, then, of course, there it is right there. You can pull up shorts, you know. In the case, uh, I'm looking at their list. And right today, on February the 22nd, there are 2,433 films on their list. And these are films that are featured. It's not all of the films. It's just the video files that have direct links. It doesn't include, let's say, interviews or any any kind of supplements to the, to the films. Yeah. But, you know, 2,400 films, roughly, and... Half of them, if you if you filter out by genre, half of them are drama, which mm-hmm. makes sense. You know, you know, Criterion has always been known for their, and I'm air quoting now, more serious films. So of course they'd have a lot of dramas in there. You know, but but a full 17% of them are also comedies or, or tagged as comedies, and then we've got 15% that are documentaries, and then uh, it's get get lower, and 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 some of and some of them even pretty small, less than five percent. You know, you know yeah. things like fantasy and horror and science fiction they even have a uh, you can you can find the samurai film mm-hmm. there's 65 samurai film on the criterion channel of course they also they include uh, the zatoichi films in that category <laughs> mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i've had arguments with people about zatoichi films not being samurai films <laughs> but that's that's another argument <laughs> <laughs> And I'm not. I'm not here to argue. Okay. No, no. You have very strong opinions about things. I have strong opinions, and and right now I'm talking to you, and you're allowing me to to see, get all this out, and not having to having to uh, actually back up my, all my claims with any facts, you know? <laughs> except for, except for being my a, opinion. This is a safe space for anyone yeah, who comes yeah. on the show, Michael. This is a safe space for anyone. <laughs> all right. Uh, send, send your cards and letters in. You know. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. When we talked about this, we also decided that we would just use the the breakdown that Criterion has on their uh, title list about genre, but then also asked whether or not we should try to uh, look at Letterboxd, and you say, well, maybe not. But I did it anyway, just to make sure. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty much the same, uh, except mm-hmm. there there is some wide variance in, in certain categories. For instance, Letterboxd says 30, 1,371 of the films are dramas while Criterion tagged 1,200 films as drama, you know? Mm. So, so again, it just goes to show that what one source considers a certain genre, another will not, so. Yeah, well, and I think that is one of the challenges, right, with when you're mm. looking at genre is, 
as you've said, what one person considers a romance film, another person might consider a drama, what one person considers a thriller, another person might consider a horror film. And there is such a, such a wide range of, of interpretation. Right. And then combinations of genre within any one film. Why put one film into one category? For instance, like I looked up Baccarat, the film from South America, Mm-hmm. And uh, Criterion has it under two two genres, science fiction and action. I do appreciate that you broke it down by both Letterboxd's list and by Criterion's list, because I do think it is interesting to see that variance and that that difference there. In Criterion, you, you mentioned that uh, like Baccarat is listed in two different categories. Do you see a lot of films listed in multiple categories? Well, that's the hard part is because the genre tags aren't visible. Mm. And so what you do is you just have to kind of test them out. I also learned that you can combine your search, your filter. Mm. For instance, if you want it, you can combine crime and film noir, and mm. there's 31 films. If you chose just crime, there's 162 films. But if you combine crime with film noir, you, you, you narrow it down to 31 films. Mm-hmm. I also found there's only one fantasy documentary on there. <laughs> and uh, I, I was trying to find some odd combinations to see if it would yep. work. A lot of times it come up as zero. Jane B. by Agnes Varda is considered both a documentary and a fantasy. And if you've seen the film, mm-hmm. you realize why it is. You know, it should be considered both of those genres. Yeah. And guess what? There's 11 musical dramas. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that's mm-hmm. dramas that are also under musical categories. And that, yeah. can, that like, for instance, the, the three films by Raj Kapoor, one of which I yeah. saw last night and was very impressed with. I've never mm-hmm. seen any of his films. And so, yes, it was, it was a musical, but it mm-hmm. was, a, it was a, also very, you know, it was a melodrama. So, yeah. So that is a, that is a musical drama. Yeah. Yeah. This is really fascinating. I'm glad you did this breakdown because I do think it's, it's also really interesting to see how, Criterion has chosen to break down their categories yeah. as well. I think it's instructive to see what they what they prioritize mm-hmm. because you know we see you know they have drama, they have shorts, they have comedy, they have documentary, crime, romance, action adventure, thriller, avant garde, which has a good chunk of pretty good. Yeah, I mean that there's 87 avant garde films on the channel. You've got horror, silent, samurai, war, fantasy, animation, science fiction, film noir, musical, and western. And that's a you know, that's a good representation of what we think of when we think of different genres. But, you know, it's it's interesting that something that we might combine into one category, crime, thriller, and film noir, those are all spread out across three different genres. Yeah, and that's why sometimes certain films will be in all three, or sometimes a film, they have decided mm-hmm. the film uh, is more leaning toward one direction than the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was looking at the list on Letterboxd, and I saw that they separate action and adventure, mm-hmm. while mm-hmm. Criterion combines up, puts those two together into one into one genre. Yeah, and, and you know, I think that, that, again, it shows where their priorities are. There's a there's a big focus on film noir, so of course there's going to be a category with things that are 
more thoroughly film noir and with all of the 70s work that they've been putting out lately you know 70s thrillers are kind of a staple of that time period so you know it there there seems to be a a real emphasis on that and then adding a crime category feels like it covers both both time periods you know i mean it makes sense but it also again it gives a sense of of who criterion is as well yeah just looking at this list and Looking at two, I order them by the number of films in each 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 genre. Yeah, and and there's a juxtaposition here that really speaks about Criterion, and that's the number of films that are avant-garde and the number of films that are horror. They're almost mm-hmm. exactly the number, the same number, <laughs> and 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 just when you think about that, you know, a, a streaming service that some persons uh, might consider to be more classy, let's say, you know, more elite would have that many horror films, almost as many, you know, horror films as they do avant-garde films, you know. So, so that that just goes to show that the criterion of old is not the new criterion. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really fun that they are branching out in so many different directions here. Yeah. Uh, was there anything that really surprised you as you were yeah. looking at all this? Yeah, I was playing up certain films and I was seeing, you know, how how they were if they were in certain categories. As I said, the the tags, the genre tags aren't visible, so you can't just pull up a film and just see where it says western drama, you know, comedy. Unlike I believe, and I checked that on all three of my apps and could not find uh, the actual genre actually listed on the description of the film. But I was look, I looked up, you know, Chris Marker's La Jetée. Because mm. I was certain it would be enlisted under science fiction, and it wasn't. Mm. Now, I'm going to have to write somebody at Criterion <laughs> <laughs> and explain to them that La Jetée is science fiction. <laughs> yes. I mean, in, in the most, you know, in the most, uh, you know, the loosest way you could describe that that term, La Jetée would fit into the science fiction genre, you know, Matt. So, yeah. But other than that, you know, I, I, it was pretty easy to see that, that, you know, certain certain things were what I would consider to be. Another film I was surprised, I can only find it under one category, and that's Lafleur, another mm. film from South America. And it's only listed as fantasy. Mm. Now, you, if you've seen the film, yeah. I, you did, you have, of course you have, we've talked yeah. about it. Yeah. But if you've seen the film, you know that, that the whole purpose of that film, or one of the main, you know, emphasis of that film is how it plays with genre, you know, how the director actually plays on the concept or the idea of what, what genre is. And then goes from there and creates a whole new work. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's, what is it? Seven episodes, if I recall. And each one of them is practically a different genre. You know, you've got the spy espionage crime episode mm-hmm. you've got the science fiction musical you've got the horror you know the, the yeah. old age horror you've got the, the last episode is, is like a uh, like a western kind of uh elegiac type uh, episode but the big category is only as fantasy i'm looking i'm thinking now is there was there anything specifically in that film that was fantasy except for the entire the metafictional approach that the director took in that one episode where he's actually talking about uh, his approach to making the film. Maybe that could be considered fantasy, but you know, that, that was, that was just one thing that stuck out to me. I'm sure there may have been more if I, if I delved further into how each of these films have been, uh, have been uh, tagged. Yeah. 
that's a fascinating thing just to see again how you know I, i'm sure that if people were really digging in they can find some odd tagging especially with some of these limited engagements oh, yes. where you have limited time to really prep the the coding for it i'm sure but yeah that's that seems like a uh a missed opportunity for Criterion to tag that in multiple ways. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This has been really fun. Thanks for digging into this. I think there's some really, really fun, fun things in this this list that you've discovered. Yeah, and I, I and I'm glad you brought it up. You know, again, I, at first I was saying, well, do I want to talk about this? Because I don't want to, you know, to upset a lot of people about my ideas about genre but yeah i'm I'm glad i was able to do it and that you were able to give me that opportunity yeah this is a lot of fun well uh michael where can people find you online i'm on the facebook groups of criterion now and the criterion channel club and you can find my list on letterboxd under michael hutchins awesome well we'll be right back with more criterion channel surfing as becky diana and i continue our conversation by talking about february's new releases and expiring titles stay with us if you enjoy criterion channel surfing check out criterion reflections hosted by david blakesley join david and his guests on their chronological journey through the films of the criterion collection Each episode provides an in-depth discussion into the cultural context for the films discussed and covers Criterion releases on DVD, Blu-ray, Laserdisc, and the Criterion channel. Find out more at CriterionCast.com. Welcome back to Criterion Channel Surfing. I'm here with Becky Diana, and we're getting ready to dive into the Criterion Channel's new and expiring titles for the month of February. So, Becky, we're recording this late in the month of February because of my own health stuff that came up and just not having the chance to prep for this as uh, quickly as I would have liked. But when I finally got a chance to take a look at this, I mean, this is a fairly packed month. Yeah. And uh, I'm just curious, what are some of your general impressions, before I dive into the list, what are some of your general impressions on the, the month of uh, film? I think it's amazing. I, I, I'm really into romantic films, and we'll get into that more. But I, some of my favorite films of all time are about romance. So I love that they curated this Valentine's Day. And I like the how they did the, there's a Lovers on the Run, which I just yeah. think that think that was one that spoke most to me. But there's just some great some great films that they curated for this month that are, and, and also like I've always wanted to see, I, and I haven't, the Marlene Dietrich and Joseph von Sternberg films. They have like seven mm. that they are highlighting and that's just a real blind spot for me. So excited to dive into those. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, I, I consistently find myself blown away by the, the content that that keeps popping up here. It's just kind of amazing. Well, let me do this really quickly. For the month of February, we have three by Madeline Anderson with Integration Report 1, A Tribute to Malcolm X and I Am Somebody. We have directed by Gordon Parks with The Learning Tree, Lead Belly, Solomon Northup's Odyssey, Moments Without Proper Names. We have that Marlena Dietrich and Joseph von Sternberg set with The Blue Angel, Morocco, Dishonored, Shanghai Express, Blonde Venus, The Scarlet Empress, and The Devil is a Woman. We have three starring Lana Turner with The Postman Always Rings Twice, A Life of Her Own, and The Bad and the Beautiful. 
We have the Starring Ruby D bundle with The Tall Target, St. Louis Blues, Take a Giant Step, The Balcony, Upright, and Buck and the Preacher. We have Lovers on the Run with You Only Live Twice, They Live by Night, Where Danger Lives, Tomorrow is Another Day, Pierrot Le Fou, The Honeymoon Killers, and a whole lot of other titles there, including Ain't Them Body Saints. We have three short films by Ramin Barani with Plastic Bag, Lift You Up, and Bloodkin. We have short films by Okusa Adoma Owusu with T42, Intermittent Delight, Buoyant, Mibroni Ba, Drexica, Split Ends, I Feel Wonderful, and again, just a whole lot of other short films. This is a pretty packed bundle here. We have an addition to the Martin Scorsese's World Cinema Project with After the Curfew. We have a bundle Black Fire with Sugar-Coated Arsenic, We Demand, Fastest Man in the State, how Can I Ever Be Late? and Black Bus Stop. We have directed by Nina Menkes with the features Queen of Diamonds, Phantom Love, Dissolution, and the short The Great Sadness of Zohara. We have directed by Mahat Salahoron with Abuna, Daraft, A Screaming Man, Grigis, and A Season in France. We have one of the bigger bundles of the, the month with directed by Guy Madden, and that includes Archangel, Careful, Dracula, Pages from a Virgin's Diary, Cowards Bend the Knee, The Saddest Music in the World, My Winnipeg, and The Forbidden Room, and then it has a lot of his shorts as well. The exclusive streaming premiere of The Killing Floor, Park Lanes, and Nation Time. There are some individual titles of Celebration, Stories We Tell, and Journey to the Beginning of Time. Criterion Collection edition of Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai, Saturday Matinees of The Last Unicorn, A Story of Children in Film, and The Ghost Goes West, Short Plus features of The Touch Retouched and The Touch, The Rabbit Hunters and Eight and a Half, Double Features of The Canterbury Tale and The Ornithologist, The Samurai and Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai, The Watermelon Man and Cotton Comes to Harlem, and The Conformist and Z. We have a new Adventures in Movie going with Wyatt Cenac, and he is highlighting all night long. Playtime, Putney Swope, Traffic, Pressure, Murmurs, Bamboozled, In the Mood for Love, and Borom Sarat. We have, the, uh, we have some new additions to the 30 Years of the Film Foundation bundle with A Farewell to Arms, Putney Swope, and Queen of Diamonds. We have an addition to the Jane Fonda bundle with La Ronde, and we have an addition to the directed by Bertrand Tavernier bundle with Fresh Bait it keeps going. There's just so many titles added this month. <laughs> Becky, let's help our listeners kind of get through some of this. What are some of the films that you would recommend people catch out of this deluge of content that has been added? <laughs> oh my gosh, there's so many great films. So Shanghai Express is a great one. A Badlands, if you want to see Terrence Malick's first film, I think is a good one. And I think those are the two key ones that I really uh, love. I think I focus on, I mean, I think there's a deluge of content that I have never seen. Yeah. So I, I think that it's exciting to go after. And that's what I ended up doing is seeking out some films that I hadn't seen before. What are some of the ones that you are really particularly excited to catch that you haven't had a chance to catch? Oh my gosh. Well, in particular, the the Marlene Dietrich and Joseph von Sternberg films. Those are the ones in particular. And also the Lana Turner films. I think those are the ones that mm. I think are the top of my list of the films that I would like to check out next. What about you? 
I think the the ones that I would definitely recommend people catch out of here would be the Guy Madden films. Mm. I think those are just hypnotic and entrancing. Dracula, Pages from a Virgin's Diary was made in conjunction with a, a ballet company and it's shot like a silent film so it feels like you are watching this artifact from a forgotten time uh the same with saddest music in the world uh even though it's not silent but it it feels like this lost film and what he does in in his work is just really incredible i cannot recommend his his stuff enough i'm always curious about the about the short films by emerging filmmakers or by filmmakers that I just don't have enough familiarity with. Mm -hmm. So I think the short films by Okuse Adoma Ouzo just sound really intriguing to me. And so I think I'm going to try to spend some time with those while they're on the channel. I think that uh, short films can be this really incredible entry way into a new filmmaker's voice or a, an emerging filmmaker's voice. And so I'm really excited to, to get to, to check out some of those. But yeah, there's just, there's so much here. I will say that the Park Lanes sounds fascinating as well. It's a eight hour film and I love my durational cinema. I love those long <laughs> films as well. You you also did highlight Pierrot Le Fou and wanted to talk about that as well, correct? Yeah. So what I did this month was I decided to seek out, instead of revisiting films I had already seen on the new and expiring, I wanted to focus on films that I had were on my list to see over the years. Mm. And Pierre Le Fou was one of them, which is fascinating <laughs> because I did not <laughs> like it, but I will get into that. So the thing with Godard is I have, over the last 20 years, have seen several of his films and I just can never I band of outsiders I enjoy but I just can never connect with them for some reason mm. and I think like every five six years I'll watch another one of his movies and I'm like oh, I just don't love this but I get why people like him and I love how he makes films about films and everything I just not sure he really was for me but what was interesting is so I sought out uh, Pierre LeFou and found it <laughs> excruciating. And so I ended up seeking out my friend, uh, Brandon, who teaches film at UCLA, because I, I wanted to have a heart to heart with him because he he and I have talked about film for 20 years. And I just had to talk to him because I, I know he loves Godard. And so I sent him a direct message on Twitter. And I just I essentially said, hey, I just saw Pierre LeFou. And I found it excruciating. And I'm like, he's going to kill me. <laughs> and I said, I know you love Godard, but what is it about him that you love? And I said, I've just never been able to connect with him. And I adore Romer and Chabral and Truffaut. And I still need to see a Rivette film, but I just don't think Godard's for me. Like, I finally just had to like come to terms with, I just don't think he's for me. And it was great because he came back to me with his little education. And he said, he said, that's really funny because he said he just did a class at UCLA teaching on the 60s. And he said he show, showed Godard's weekend. And he says what he tells his students is that every new wave has a spectrum. There are humanists and there are polemicists. And he said Truffaut and Romer are humanists and Chabral's in the middle and Godard or Rivette are polemicists. And he essentially said that because he knows me very well. And when we first met, we really bonded because I was obsessed with Bergman. So mm. we talk about movies all the time. But he, he essentially told me, he's like, you know, you're a filmmaker who strongly responds to humanist and not polemicist. And he's mm -hmm. like, so you'll probably never love a Godard film. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. So 
<laughs> that made me feel good that he wasn't like, you're an idiot and how dare you? Because he's, <laughs> I think he's a genius. But it was interesting because so he, he sort of gave me this little education about Godard. And he was, he asked me, he suggested that I read this essay about that was written by his old professor, Peter Wolin. It's called Godard and Counter Cinema. And he mentions that this essay it, it sort of talks about how Godard consciously violates what most of us want in a movie. And then so Wolin in this essay identifies six or seven qualities of Godard and describes how Godard goes against these qualities. In particular, he said mm. that Godard does things to prevent you from identifying too much with his protagonist, where most filmmakers want nothing more for you to identify with their characters. But Godard does that, actually actively tries to prevent you from connecting with them. And, and he used Weekend as an example of this bourgeoisie couple who's just totally awful. And then they go down this Alice in Wonderland rabbit hole that eventually leads them to these hippie revolutionaries. And in order to make you stay away from these hippies, he kind of makes them cannibals. And so it, it was really fascinating to, to, to see that Godard goes down that route because he wants to talk about controversial subjects and, and also explore that through art. But sometimes I think that like, when I think there are people who don't want to look at art house films or, or, or foreign films that haven't seen them before, you know, young film, film goers or film students. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like maybe they'll see a movie like Breathless or a movie like this Pierre LeFou and be like, oh, I don't, I think I just assume that all films are like this. And that's not the yeah. case. He's, they're like this because there's a specific director behind them and then this is their arc. It was interesting to me because I just absolutely love Ingmar Bergman. And I think that that is interesting because people I see all the time think of Bergman as oh, he's bleak and he's about death, but he that he's not. His films are amazing and they're all about humanity and the human soul. And they're, and if you love dialogue and wonderful introspective conversations and, and just really diving into characters and who we are as humans, you would love Bergman. And it's just so antithesis of what Godard is. And he's just very different. He's just a very different filmmaker, but it was nice to have somebody absolutely in love with Godard and thinks he's a genius tell me, hey, Becky, it's okay if you don't like him. You're just never going to love him because you don't respond to his type of filmmaking. Yeah, you know, I think that's a really, we need to have permission, you know, lovers of film, we need to have permission to not like certain filmmakers sometimes, mm -hmm. right? That it's okay. And I think that I, I like your point that a lot of times, you know, when when people approach art house cinema as if it's work, a lot of times they are approaching films like some of the more difficult Godard films or like some of the more difficult, more impenetrable works of art house cinema. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are some people that really click in with that. And it's it's that it's really easy for them to to get into those types of films. But for some people, it's really, really hard. And I think you're right. I think, you know, Bergman is one of those filmmakers that is immediately accessible. I think, you know, like you said, Truffaut, some of those other new wave filmmakers have the that really kind of, there's an easy accessibility mm -hmm. to some of those films. And I think that we need to remember that it's not a one size fits all for art house cinema that it, that there is the spectrum and i like like what your your friend said that there's the polemicists and there are the humanists and uh this this wide range in between yeah and i think it's, we have to be okay to let people know that it's okay that there are pe yeah. there are filmmakers that you'll respond to and some that you don't and i i i found it endlessly fascinating over the last 20 years meeting people 
along the way about Bergman, especially where I tried to make him accessible and, and talk to people about wait, what, which films have you seen by him? Like I, I mm -hmm. mentioned before at a party where I met somebody who said, Oh, Bergman's not for me. And I said, well, what movies have you seen? And he said, cries and whispers. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh my God, that's like the worst entry point to see a Bergman film. And yeah. um, because I mean, some people will love that film and think it's amazing, mm -hmm. but that is not representative of his filmmaking. And, and so it's like, Oh my gosh, I can imagine if, if you see that film, you're like, well, he's just, that's just, that's not the type of filmmaker that I respond to. And that's not really representative of his work. So it, that's what's the great thing about film is there's so many different types of filmmakers out there. Yeah. And it really, I mean, Bergman's done experimental films too, and they're amazing, but you just connect with certain people and, and it's just, it's, mm -hmm. it's helpful to know like what you respond to and what you love and, and what that says about your personality and, and it's just like, it's just wonderful. It's like there's endless education. Like there's no way you could see everything of everything. So it's just awesome to go down and be like, oh, I really respond to this filmmaker and not this filmmaker. And that's probably, it says that about me. And I love it. But I, I love that I, I, and that's the thing. I'm at the point in my life where I can say to him, hey, I, you know, I know he's obsessed with this filmmaker. And I could just say, hey, I know you love this film, but I found it excruciating. Please, <laughs> can you help yeah. me? Tell me why you love it because I just can't connect. And it and, and yeah. he's he's an this amazing uh, cinephile who can say to me, no, this is why, and you know, make yeah. make it okay for people. Yeah, and I think that's such a, a great approach to it too that we don't have to pretend to like something <laughs> that we don't as well. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yes, that's great. You know, I I always like to say that the Criterion Channel giveth and the Criterion Channel taketh away, <laughs> and we are losing a lot of films this month it's a slaughter here i know so many amazing films i know i'm just gonna gonna dive right into this because this is a this is a bloodbath here <laughs> um the first one i do want to highlight for people just so that they don't miss it is from the the directed by gordon parks bundle that premiered this month we are losing lead belly so it is uh, only here for the month so make sure to catch that we are also losing from the starring Peter Sellers bundle, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. We are losing the entire Cary Grant comedies bundle with I'm No Angel, She Done Him Wrong, Holiday, Bringing Up Baby, My Favorite Wife, The Talk of the Town, Arsenic and Old Lace. Again, everything from the bundle. There's a lot there that is, that is going to be leaving. From the starring Jane Fonda bundle, we'll be losing Clute. We'll be losing the entire The Best of May West bundle with She Done Him Wrong, I'm No Angel, Bell of the 90s Go Into Town, Klondike, Annie, Go West Young Man, Every Day's a Holiday, and My Little Chickadee. From the directed by Volker Schlorndorf bundle, we'll be losing Circle of Deceit, Death of a Salesman, Voyager, The Ogre, The Legend of Rita, and Diplomacy. And most of the, the rest of the films from that bundle are part of the permanent collection. From the Christo and Jean-Claude bundle, we'll be losing The Gates and Walking on Water. From the Three by Lucretia Martel bundle, we'll be losing The Headless Woman and Zama. Uh, La Cienega is part of the permanent collection and will be staying on the channel. From Documentaries by the Ross Brothers, we'll be losing Western. From Three by Robert Greene, we'll be losing Actress, Kate Plays Christine, and Bisbee 17. We'll be losing Criterion Collection editions of House of Games, Paths of Glory, Night of the Hunter, Days of Heaven, and Harold and Maude. We'll be losing Saturday matinees of National Velvet and 20 Million Miles to Earth. 
from the Art House America, the Doris Duke bundle. We'll be losing Standing Above the Clouds. And we'll be losing individual titles. Uh, these were all part of either double features or they were just released on their own. We'll be losing Bell, Book, and Candle, March of the Wooden Soldiers, Art and Craft, The Loveless, Nocturama, The Prison in Twelve Landscapes, Taboo, and Taboo, A Story of the South Seas. So while the bundles, there's not a ton of the bundles that are leaving, we're losing a lot of titles from within those bundles, especially those Cary Grant and Mae West bundles. Mm-hmm. That's just, I mean, there's a lot that are leaving this this month. Becky, what do people need to catch before the, the films leave this month? All of the movies. <laughs> no, there's so many amazing ones. It's crazy. And uh, so many yeah. I just love. Doctor Strange, I love, obviously. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. sure a lot of people have seen that movie, but it's just wonderful and funny and biting and great. And Bringing Up Baby is one of my favorite films, too. Harold and Maude's wonderful. And these films span so many, like from the 70s to the 30s. Yeah. One film that I plan on catching because I've never seen it and I've always wanted to, and for some reason I've missed, is Holiday by George Cukor. I, mm. I'm not sure why I've never seen it yet but it's uh, i have like a week left to see it for free i mean because i pay for it (laughs) the channel i can always run it but i always had wanted to see this movie so i i can't wait to see that one yeah there's just there's so much here right yeah it's crazy i i was in Mm -hmm. shock about all the expiring films is there like a something that that criterion does like is there a way to know when things are gonna other than the month they're expiring like when they release films to know that hey this is expiring in two months or do they do anything like that or they spring it on you They spring okay. it on you. In the in the Criterion Channel Club Facebook group, our friend Michael Hutchins has a pretty good idea of of what might be expiring based on the monthly rotation of stuff. He keeps track of how long things have been on. There's a, a list that we try to keep in the show notes based on his assumption of when things might be leaving. But it's it still is at best an informed guess based on kind of previous licensing agreements. But there are things that are still a surprise. You know, uh, the fact that Lead Belly is only a single month engagement is still a fairly big surprise. There are films that have been on for, you know, a year and still have not, you know, that are limited engagements that still haven't left yet. So yeah, it's, the month is pretty much it. So it tends to be a scramble for a lot of people to try to catch everything. Mm Mm-hmm. I have made peace. I think it was about a year and a half ago. I made peace with the fact that I was never going to catch everything each month. I, I, It was a losing battle. And uh, I had tried each month to catch every film that was expiring. And I just, I stopped. I gave up. <laughs> I would like to make sure that people, if they haven't had a chance to catch it, uh, I would really recommend Bisbee 17. I think that may be one of the ones that I think is really worth catching. It's a documentary by Robert Green. It is one of the more moving experimental documentaries that I've seen in a long time. Uh, follows a town that is reckoning with its past in which a hundred years ago, it's a mining community in Arizona. The mining company forcibly deported the members of the community that was planning to unionize and the the town a hundred years later is doing a reenactment of the the deportation and it 
it is really about how we reckon with our past, uh, how we reckon with the consequences of our our actions and our history and how we grapple with the legacy of our ancestors. And it's a really beautiful film, really heartbreaking, really moving. Maybe one of the best documentaries I've seen in the past, I don't know, 10 years. And to me, it's one of those things that shows how documentary can isn't just a static form and a genre, that it really can be so many different things. So I, I would highly recommend people catch that if they get a chance to see that one. And I, am, I really want to try to catch Nocturama mm-hmm. and maybe even The Prison in 12 Landscapes if I get a chance before they leave. But we're in the last week of the month. Yeah, and this, this month is so short. <laughs> I know. (laughs) It's hard. You wanted to talk a little bit about Days of Heaven? Oh, yeah. So I I also decided to pick a film that I hadn't seen for the expiring, which was awesome because I really like Terrence Malick. I think he's amazing. And I'm probably one of those few people that respond more to his later work than his earlier Mm -hmm. work. I do like his his films in in the beginning of his career. But what's interesting is I've really seen all of Terrence Malick's films except for I had never seen Days of Heaven and I haven't seen Mm. Voyage of Time, which is that 2016 American IMAX documentary he did about... It was examination of like birth and death in the known universe. I think it was because I yeah. had to seek it out and see it in like an IMAX theater that I just didn't do that. But Days of Heaven was sort of a blind spot for me of, of his filmography. I'd seen all the rest of his films. And so it was like, oh, great. This isn't a, a chance to see this film before it leaves. I just thought it was gorgeous. It was the cinematography yeah. is amazing and and it's just it was so fun to watch a young Richard Gere he is quite dreamy in this film (laughs) even though he's kind of a jerk his character isn't the uh he's essentially tries to convince his girlfriend to marry somebody else that is dying so that maybe they could claim their fortune so it's he's not a great guy in this movie but he's definitely (laughs) a very complicated character and it's just great acting and the the young girl Linda Manns is just amazing. And this was like her first big role. And she was amazing. Like they ended up like when they're making the movie, I guess they decided that some of the scenes weren't really making sense like linearly. So they decided that she should do this monologue throughout the film, this narration, voiceover narration. And it's it's really powerful and it really does help string the film together. And then the scores by uh, Morcone and it's amazing. But I think the coolest thing about this film is the photography. There's this a big mm-hmm. locust swarm and you know a lot of people who know great iconic scenes of film have seen the photos of the scene if they hadn't seen the movie itself so it's definitely worth checking out I really enjoyed it it's funny because Criterion is highlighting Badlands and under filmmakers on the run sort of that's his first film under new releases but I yeah. I had seen that already so it was it was nice to be other than this IMAX film now I can say that I've almost complete with his filmography, which was nice. So I'm really, I'm really happy I checked it out and I highly recommend it if you haven't seen it or if you just wanted to see it again. It's, it's not very long and it's really, it just, it's gorgeous to look at and also just, just see, has some great characters. 
yeah, I think I saw that when I was first starting to get into art house cinema and it was part of Roger Ebert's great films list. And I remember really, really enjoying it and kind of just starting to to begin my journey with Terrence Malick. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's I think it's getting close to time for a revisit of that one. So yeah, that's a that's a great recommendation, especially for anyone who has not seen it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. Well, those are the Criterion Channel's new and expiring titles for the month of February. Becky Thank you so much for joining me on this. This has been so much fun. Oh, so much fun. Thanks for inviting me. This has been great. Where can people find you online? So they can find me online on, I'm mostly on Twitter. And my account is Hollywood Minotaur. And that's spelled Hwood Minotaur. And I tweet quite a lot, mostly Bergman. I tweet, I'm like, <laughs> I call myself a Bergman disciple because I'm just like, he's a religion to me. So I, I you'll see that. I mean, I've, and hopefully I don't infuriate you, but I don't tweet like an insane amount, but I do, there <laughs> a handful of tweets a week will be about Igmar Bergman. And then I also tweet about Star Trek and, and just films I've seen because I, I love art house films too, big budget films. So I'm very... Of eclectic taste in film and wide ranging taste, so I will talk about all sorts of films, and I and I love engaging in conversations with people and talking about anything that they want to talk about. And I have a I've, I've met some really extraordinary people on Twitter, friends that I that I go on every day just to connect with, and that's mostly where. And I also have a website called BeckyDeanna.com, and it lists I've had over forty five podcast appearances over the last few years. So every podcast appearance I've done. I think I've done over 13 appearances on Bergman. So if you've ever want to hear a deep dive on any of his key films, there are on there and I've done a bunch of Star Trek episodes and um, just a bunch of different films and Albert Brooks and James Cameron. And also all my top 10 lists from the last like 15 years have been on there for my best films of the year. And my new top 10 list will be on there as well. So those are the two biggest places to find me. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you again so much. This has been great. You can find Criterion Channel Surfing at CriterionCast.com and our website, CinemaCocktail.com. And you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching for Criterion Channel Surfing. If you'd like to continue the conversation, join us in the Criterion Channel Club Facebook group or send us a message at CriterionChannelSurfing at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Josh Hornbeck. Our logo was designed by Doug McCambridge of the Good Times Great Movies podcast. You can see more of his design work at dpmdesigns.com. Criterion Channel Surfing is a proud member of Criterion Cast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com and support the work of CriterionCast at Patreon.com slash CriterionCast. Criterion Channel Surfing is listener supported, so please consider donating to the show at Patreon.com slash Josh Hornbeck. For just $5 a month, you get early access to all regular and bonus episodes of the show, and for $10 a month, you'll have the chance to give my guest and I a film to discuss in a special Patreon-only bonus episode. I'd like to thank this month's new Patreon supporter, Celeste de la Cabra. Thank you so much for supporting the show, and thanks to all of our regular supporters. It really does mean so much. On the next episode of Criterion Channel Surfing... 
Becky, DeAnna, and I sit down to discuss love stories. I hope you'll join us. Thanks for listening. Criterion Cast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com.